Good afternoon, everyone. This session this afternoon, this is the power of innovation or how much fire can we steal with Howard Airy. Now, a little bit about Howard for those of you who don't know who he is. Howard is a psychologist specialising in the human side computer the human side of computers and technology. Since starting as a psychologist in 2000, he has always been involved with assisting people with or through technology. This has included online counselling systems in education, projects to engage young people through technology, and project man management of funding for inclusive e-learning projects for disadvantaged people. Howard has worked as a consultant for online innovations projects in education, both for eWorks and for the framework. So, over to you, Howard. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Therese. Okay, so this talk is uh, a little bit different from some of the other things that you might be doing. Uh, I, I describe it as being a little bit more right-brained. So. It's not necessarily a practical session. I'm going to be telling some stories and uh, trying to give you some insight into processes that happen inside innovators. So I hope that you'll find that interesting and we'll see how we go. Um, I, uh, any of you in the innovation projects, running innovation projects this year? Yeah, so quite a few of you are. One of my jobs is I run the innovation projects for Victoria as well. So. Um, and it's been terrific to see the, the showcase here. Um, but also, when uh, I got into running the innovation projects, I was interested to find out um, what some of the, the um, psychological meanings and uh, consequences of using technology are. Um, and also to see, to try and understand better, you know, what, what's the story going on when something goes wrong? Because you know, we start off, we've got a project plan, yes, I'm going to go over there, but often they go all over the place and, and different sorts of things happen, which is fine. Um, so uh, this sort of came out of a, a little bit of that exploration as well. So um, that was the question. Uh, what, what is the, the psychology um, of innovation? Um, and I've, I'm very interested in this man, who's Carl Jung, who's a psychologist uh, early last century. And uh, he... Um, he didn't like technology, but he didn't also write a lot about it. Uh, and I was trying to find out, you know, what, what would he have thought, uh, what would he have written about um, technology? Um, but th there isn't a lot there. But he did talk a lot about things like uh, he created the idea of the collective unconscious, so that we have things that uh, are going on uh, amongst all of us all the time, and, uh, and archetypes, which are like patterns that uh, are common to all of us. And so that's why I'm looking at uh, innovation to see well, what's common that's going on for us. And one of the things that's really interesting about the WikiLeaks, uh, which is going on in the news at the moment, is how, it, how much fascination it's creating for everyone. Um, and it, in a way, WikiLeaks isn't telling any of us anything new, new, is it? We all knew this stuff was going on to a degree. I mean, we didn't know necessarily the fine details, but the governments had these sorts of problems. And so, uh, and so it's, it's as if the story is actually very important to us at some level, just that we know the story and that we're following the story of, of this, um, all these events that are going on. And it's playing out through one particular person. Not that I'm absolving him of responsibility in that. It's not picking me up. A bit higher. Okay, there we go. Okay. Um, and... One of the things about technology and its psychology is the way we get fascinated with it. Uh, who wants the iPad? 
that they're giving away for the conference, yeah? <laughs> and so I saw people going around putting their stickers on uh, to do that. And um, it's amazing that the pull that the, the technology can have for us. I don't know that it's always necessarily healthy. Uh, and perhaps Apple is the ultimate company in exploiting the way that uh, we can get uh, fascinated with technology. They're just so brilliant at making uh, these uh, products beautiful and sexy, they, you know, they talk about the fondability even of uh, the design in what they put into an iPhone um, and, and, and they really capture our imagination. If uh, I had a friend who went to one of the Apple uh, marketing events, you know, when Steve Jobs gets up um, to, to talk, I think he had to pay 2000 or $4,000 for the ticket to get in, okay? So here he is, he's paying money to go to the Apple marketing event so that he can be sold the products and then go and buy them. <laughs> now, what, you know, how much fascination is that? It's almost like it's a cult. Okay, at the time I was thinking about this as well, uh, you know the Hadron Collider, which is perhaps one of the biggest innovations that we've ever done um, and perhaps the most Promethean project. Uh, it's absolutely enormous, um, the, the scale and the size of this thing. And uh, Anyway, while it was being set up uh, about this time last year they had lots of problems that they, they had a start date where everything was going to start you know and they probably had the, the best project managers in the world on this project and it just kept being put off and put off and at the same time some scientists came up with an idea that there's a, a problem with um, the particle that they're trying to isolate or one of the particles that they're trying to isolate which is called the um, it's either Higgs boson or boson Higgs Higgs boson particle okay now this particle uh, it's very hard to discover because one of its properties, and they were able to prove this mathematically, is that it doesn't like to come into existence, if you like, but it's there by implication. So um, by forcing it to come into existence, what would happen is that that particle would send a message back in time to interrupt its coming into process. So the idea was that the particle was coming back and saying, no, you can't do this project, and so it was interrupting the development of the Collider. So it's a, a diff, bit of a wacky idea, but I thought it was quite interesting because it made me think about also some, how some innovation projects kind of seem to work when they don't go in a straight line like we'd like. So, you know, here's our project. We've got a start time. Um, we want to create the, the, the Higgs boson. It comes back beforehand and uh, something happens even before the project is started or before we want to start the project. We've probably planned it all. So, and it gets in the way. Um, I'm also going to be talking about um, what mythology uh, and I've already mentioned Prometheus so I'll be mainly talking about. Uh, this is Agamemnon in his Lego form. Um, if you come to Gail's session after the break uh, on the innovation projects that she's talking about, she's, um, in Victoria we had a Lego project so I thought I'd better put a piece of Lego in, in there. Um, um, so yeah, this is Agamemnon, the, the Greek hero. I really like Wikipedia for the way it uh, helps us with mythology. Because if you think about it, mythology has been going for thousands and thousands of years and it used to be an oral tradition so people would get together and they talk with each other about what's going on, what the gods are doing, what the heroes are doing. Uh, and it, it was... Um, you would never have necessarily one version from one person but you get lots of different versions from different people of the story and then you'd know the whole the whole myth if you like and that's how Wikipedia kind of works doesn't it because you go up and put a bit up there but then someone else can come along and say well I know another bit and I'll go and add on to it so it kind of replicates in a really nice way I think how mythology kind of developed in that we can keep the mythology going so 
and you don't have to go and look at several books because people will bring their knowledge together and you get something of a distillation of, uh, of what the myth is. So I, go, I encourage you to go have a look at the, the myth of um, Prometheus in, in Wikipedia. Okay, now the reason why I'm talking about this is that uh, I was uh, watching a, a commentator who um, came from Microsoft and he was talking about uh, what are some of the things that are going on in innovation. And he was saying... You don't want to worry about the Prometheus guy. Everyone says Prometheus has something to do with innovation, but he's the guy that steals fire. Look, we're from Microsoft. We're going to be associated with stealing fire and that sort of thing, you know, the intellectual property of the gods or whatever. So he kind of, and then he blocked it there and he said, look, it's nothing to do with innovation. I got me thinking, I thought, well, I'm not sure, so sure that that's correct. And I started to look at some of the details in it to try and um, expand on it and, and hopefully uh, answer the question. So um, when you look at Wikipedia, there's two versions that existed. One was um, 500 BC and one was 800 BC. So there's 300 years apart, so it's quite a long time when you think about it. Okay? And what happened is the story changed quite a lot between the two. So, what happens? Okay, so Prometheus, he steals fire from the gods. In particular, he plays a trick on Zeus, who's the king of the gods. And he steals fire for mankind, so he brings the benefit of being able to use fire from mankind. For doing that, he gets uh, punished by Zeus. So he gets chained to a rock for eternity and every day his liver gets eaten out by an eagle. Um, then overnight, the, the liver grows back and it gets eaten out again the next day. So it's incredibly painful um, and it is eternal and repetitive. Um, the Greeks knew that the liver could regrow itself, which is the only organ in the body that can do that. So it's like... It's a, a little sort of reflection of um, that bit of medical knowledge, if you like. Okay, so back to the first version. He gets released by Heracles. So Heracles is the great hero and uh, what he does is he shoots the eagle with an arrow okay, and releases Prometheus. So it takes a great heroic act to get out of that bind. Okay, then what happens is that Pandora who was in the story The First Woman, gets given as further punishment and there's Pandora's box which gets opened and um, all the evils are released into the world and they manage to shut it at the last minute and hope doesn't get out. So it's a really bleak, um, a really bleak ending there. And at the end, Prometheus is reviled. He's this guy who made things basically harder for people by stealing the fire and harder for himself and he's, he's a kind of an anti-hero. Okay? Uh, Zeus says, if you hadn't have done that, you wouldn't have to work like every day like you do. You would have only had to work two days a year and you would have everything, but because you stole that fire, you've given yourself all this work to do all the time. You know, it's change, change, change it to a rock. Okay, back again. Okay, so there's Pandora's box. There's also Epimetheus, um, who's Prometheus's brother. Okay, Prometheus, the word, means forethought. So Prometheus can see ahead, like a lot of innovators can. You know those people, they know the next technology, they just happen to be able to see it on the horizon. Like if you ask some people, they would come up with a bunch of options, but they, they don't need to read the horizon report, they, just, they can see when something comes on the horizon that it's there. Um, Epimetheus means afterthought. Okay, now... Epimetheus is the one who gets everyone into trouble because he, he can't see 
what's going to happen. He, he's the one that causes Pandora to open the box. Prometheus would have seen it, but Prometheus is distracted. But Epimetheus, he can't see what's coming ahead. Now, that's an important part of the, the um, uh, mythology as well, and I'll go on to show you some examples of that because the, these people who are innovators, and us as innovators, sometimes we can see what's on the horizon, but when we do these things, we don't always see where we've left a trail and what, what that trail might mean. Okay, so in the second version, 500 BC, he steals fire from the gods, but he's got a reputation now. Prometheus is the guy that gives writing, mathematics, agriculture, medicine and science to mankind. So um, that's education, that's the business that we're in. And he's the one that, that um, brings all these things. He gets chained to the rock in the same way, but there's a, a different release. It's the same hero Heracles who releases him, but it's part of a deal. And in the deal, Chiron, who is a centaur, so he's half horse, half man, he um, is able to die so that Prometheus can be released. Now Chiron is an interesting character and there he is on a vase. He um, was wounded by one of Heracles' arrows in the knee and this presented a particular problem. Chiron was the son of a god so that meant that he was immortal in the, the way things worked in, in Greece. But being shot by one of Heracles' arrows meant that he had to die because the poison from his arrow was from the Hydra, which was this horrible monster, and it would kill anything. Okay? So there's this paradox. He's, um, he doesn't actually die because he's immortal, but he's in pain all the time, and he can't get rid of the pain. He's the great healer. He's the great teacher. All the heroes went to uh, Chiron to learn how to be a hero, how to do, be a warrior. Uh, they learnt poetry and divination and things like that. So he's a bit like Prometheus, isn't he? So they're both in pain all the time. So it's an interesting kind of swap. That the deal that's done is that Chiron actually gets to die finally and be released from his pain so that Prometheus can live, so that Prometheus doesn't have to uh, die every day. Okay, and then at the end of this version, Prometheus is the hero. He's the one that really brings the gifts to mankind. Um, they don't talk about Pandora as much as she's just sort of alluded to and uh, it's a very different outcome. So... It's like uh, over 300 years, the idea of what you could do changed. It's as if innovation became easier. This is early on in the culture. Someone does something new, it really upsets everyone. Okay? A few hundred years later, they're used to the fact that you can change things and that you can make developments. So he starts from being the villain. And this is uh, this wonderful artwork that's in Melbourne. Initially I didn't have this picture because I just would show this picture. After I first of all did this presentation I was then riding my bike through Melbourne and this is, there it is in Melbourne. I, I got it off Flickr uh, but it's um, on, the, on the wall of the fire brigade, this wonderful um, work of art. So if you're ever in Melbourne it's worth, worth having a walk just up into East Melbourne to have a look. Okay, and then he becomes the hero. Okay, so um, what's eating you? You're trying to get this project done, it just doesn't seem to get done. Uh, you're not getting along with your boss so well. Some of those things that uh, happen to uh, innovators on the inside are reflected in the story. Sometimes isolation is one of the problems. You know, say, yeah, go off and go do the project here, you've got the money, you know, go and do it. And people who are running projects are sometimes that they can 
um, or doing innovations, they can sometimes be on their own. Sometimes they're quite creative on their own, but they get quite isolated. I, I um, think it's really interesting going into the innovation projects that I visit and, uh, and to see the developers. You know, and these developers are young guys that think, yeah, I'll go into computers, means I don't have to connect with people or relate to other people because I'm not really good at that, but I'm good at technical stuff. Maybe they've got Asperger's, sometimes it seems like that's the case. Um, I'm not saying that's bad or anything, they're, they're geniuses, a lot of them, uh, and, but they get isolated, they work on their own, they prefer not to go and talk with people, uh, but they can do really amazing things. So isolation is one of the things that can surround them. And routine as well. Uh, uh, sometimes innovators get stuck, they, they produce this great innovation, but to make it happen they've got to do a whole lot of routine, but they're not good at that, they're primarily creative people and the routine is the opposite of what they, they want to do and what they're, they're, they're good at. And so I like to quote Marvin, the, the paranoid android there, you know, brain the size of a planet and here I am parking cars. I think some of these people, they feel that that's what their life is like. They didn't think they were going to be doing this, they were going to be doing cool, innovative stuff and uh, they, get, they feel stuck sometimes. So that's like Prometheus on the rock every day. Um, and we could look at some examples of some uh, great innovators and um, the one I like to start with is uh, Oppenheimer. Now Oppenheimer was an American and he was the person who uh, ran the program that developed the atomic bomb. So again, at that stage that was the most Promethean activity um, of creating fire if you like uh, and interesting that the book that was about him was called American Prometheus. Um, he was an extraordinary man, just amazingly intelligent uh, and produced all sorts of uh, interesting uh, projects in theoretical physics. Um, they weren't projects so much but they were just theories. He, um, he, wasn't, he was a great physicist but he wasn't a practical person. You couldn't get him to fix your washing machine or anything like that. He wouldn't have the faintest clue how to do it. But he could um, do mathematics extraordinarily well and just had a mind for um, creating theories. He um, wrote the paper that um, uh, hypothesised black holes uh, back in the 30s and it wasn't until the 1970s that it was actually discovered that black holes actually exist. So, you know, extraordinary mind. He thought Einstein was pretty dumb. You know, and they, they spent a lot of time together and um, you know, he was um, quite a genius. Um, through doing the project, actually, he became a very people-oriented person. He had quite poor people skills but he came, became a very good people person because he had to make this happen and no one else could have the vision and the... Um, uh, the intelligence to oversee it all so I had about I think 300 people on the project. Um, so he produced the bomb, became extraordinarily famous. From that point on science dominated our culture too. It had been strong through the industrial revolution but it was a turning point for how we, um, how we view science. Um, and then what happened in the 1950s in America was the McCarthy era and he got caught up in the McCarthy era and um, was put on trial for being a communist sympathiser. He never joined the Communist Party but what happened was that they got him on just a small thing, was a conversation that he had with someone who was a potential spy and it was about 20 years beforehand at a party and they said we know you did this and that, that, that's what they did it. Uh, and it really, um, uh, he was a broken man after that. He died quite young at about 62 I think um, and really wasn't able to work um, and basically went and lived off, uh, lived on an island in the Caribbean because he had plenty of money so he could just go and buy an island so he did that. Uh, but he was never a happy man and alcoholic. Um, 
So it was, he, he was like the example of the, the Promethean hero that gets reviled. Okay, that, that first version. Galileo, uh, I put in as well. Um, he also had that Epimethean thing where in the past it was something that came back to, to get him. He, um, he is the father of modern physics, um, if you like, uh, and also was a proponent of the Copernican view that the sun is at the centre of our solar system. And because he was a proponent of that, even though he had all sorts of really good connections uh, through the Catholic Church and knew the, uh, knew the Pope quite well as well, um, they, um, uh, what do they say, excommunicated him because he was promoting it. But he only did it in one sentence in a book he wrote 15 years ago. So again, it was just a little thing that they got him on. That's the Epimetheus part. You know, he was doing so many wonderful things and he could show people and he was a great teacher and everybody loved him. But, um, and it was the same thing. He, even though he was perhaps a bit more comfortable uh, than you might expect, he, wasn't, he was just sort of put under house arrest. But again, he, it broke him and uh, he had a terrible life once that happened. Uh, that book's pretty good as well, Galileo's Daughter. His daughter is an extraordinary writer and uh, an intelligent person and her letters to him uh, are really interesting and you, you can get a good insight into his personality too. Um, then there's this guy um, who uh, is, is kind of a, another Promethean hero. Um, an extraordinary stories and popularity. We were talking about how popular he is um, earlier with the fascination that people have for um, iPods. So Steve Jobs... It's really interesting the story at the beginning of Apple uh, is that when they um, developed the Lisa computer, what happened is they, developed, they went to Xerox. So Xerox was the photocopy company who put aside just millions of dollars for uh, that we want to develop a great com personal computer and they, they pretty much built something like the very first Mac um, and, uh, and just, but just had it sitting in the laboratory because they, and they put all these sort of PhD students on it but they weren't kind of entrepreneurial about it and it just kind of sat there and so the Apple guys went and just visited and said look we want to have a look they took along their one guy who was a bit like a hacker, a young guy and afterwards they said to him you know can you make something like that and he said look I'll, it'll take six months um, and so they kind of stole the idea at the beginning um, but you know the extraordinary things that we're seeing now with Apple just, just becoming so strong um, and this guy is heroised by a lot of people and, and interestingly I think it was the year before last he had a big operation where his liver was replaced okay. so total liver replacement which is really unusual now I'm not saying that if you're an innovator you're going to get into trouble with your liver okay. and I'm also not saying that if you have liver tr trouble you're an innovator but alcohol helps well for some people uh, I had a drug and alcohol person in my audience uh, last week when I, I did this presentation as well. Um, but it, it's just really interesting, the story turns up and it's like the, he doesn't intend to live this story but it just moves through our culture in, in, in little bits. You see it turn up every now and then. Uh, um, the Microsoft guy, I've just lost his... Uh, Bill Gates, yeah. Bill Gates had a similar story where he, um, he was being interviewed by... Uh, someone and um, they asked him what was the hardest thing that ever happened to you and he said well being sued by my government was pretty tough uh, which you may you know, think about it, who, who runs the law your government, there's just no way you're going to win something like that he thought he could out, talk his way out of it but that was, his, he was you know, I think in a kind of naive space um, but uh, he went through a, a bit of a challenge there but here's someone that you know is uh, certainly a lot of people's heroes 
And um, now we've got this guy, um, Mark Zuckerberg and um, Facebook, and I encourage you to see the movie. Has anyone seen The Social Network? A lot of you have? Yeah, okay. Um, it's not a likeable movie in some ways because he's not a likeable character. Um, it's a bit like trying to make a favourable movie about Hitler or something like that because he's not likeable at all. And it doesn't really have a positive ending because at the end of the movie he hasn't developed at all as a character. So I just warn you in that way that it's not so good. But it's a really well made movie and a well told story. And the interesting thing about this is that he stole the idea, uh, which is a fair bit of what the, the movie is about. Is um, You see the, the court case or the, um, to try and sort out who owns what. Um, and so we haven't seen the rest of this story unfold yet um, but you wonder if Facebook keeps growing at the rate it does takes up half the internet if some authority isn't going to step in at some stage and say hold on uh, you're doing too much we'll see uh, and then there was Tesla I just came across this picture last week and I thought I'd put it in he um, uh, I don't know much about Tesla's life, but um, here he is, Tes Nicholas Tesla, holding in his hands balls of flame. So he apparently had theoretically had developed this idea that you could ha you could actually have a ball of lightning and um, created a machine to make that. Okay, so what do we do about this practically? Um, uh, this is someone in Victoria whose name's Carol, who um, does a lot of innovation projects, um, and she had this idea that. Um, Organisations who are do, doing innovation and project teams can be beset by doubt but she has this idea that everything is difficult and becomes easy until it becomes easy and that's sort of the idea that I'm talking about with the two versions of Prometheus that starts off things are really difficult and he's reviled but then it changes and it becomes easier. So I think once we start doing a project um, sometimes the first project is really hard and then the second project things start to work better. That was certainly my experience. I had a project that went on for about 18 months. It seemed for a lot of the time it was just going to be shelved and shelved and sit there for a long time and then uh, eventually I got to the end of it. I, it sat on people's desks needing sign off on all sorts of things for quality and for risk assessment and uh, so on. Um, but then the second project I did, all the doors just seemed to open and it was just much easier. Uh, I also like, uh, there's a story that is the, the, the same line about a, a racing car driver who um, was in the NASCAR series and for years and years he was just doing his own car. He um, uh, had no sponsorship, he just built it in his garage and he'd go and race in these professional races and he was being interviewed just as, uh, as he'd got his first professional sponsorship and they were saying, well, you know, how does it feel? And he said, well, you know, for years and years I've been doing less and less or doing more and more with less and less and what happens when you do that is eventually you can do everything with nothing. So just, you know, just by persisting and, and, and getting through there, it, it actually became easier and then you got all this sponsorship and so he was set. Okay, and then Michael, who's here at the conference, uh, he's got this phrase, I don't do self-doubt. You know, and I think the, another attitude to take for, for people who are innovators is um, you, know, you just don't do self-doubt, you just let that go and, and go for it. And I think some of the examples of people that have been like that Okay, so if you're an innovator, what do you do? Um, I think it's important to, to talk with others. Form a community. Uh, so get together with other people who are doing similar things. I think that's one of the really good things about events like the showcase and having innovation sets of innovation projects is you know you're not alone and there are other people who are doing similar things and that you can get together with and, and share what's going on. Spend time on nothing. We need to nurture our creative process. We need to be able to let 
ideas come into our mind and if we're getting busy all the time in routine and so on, uh, that can get in the way. So we need to learn about creativity and how it can uh, be fostered and by doing nothing it's like, well, it's not that we do nothing but for the light bulb moment to go up there in our mind we've got to notice that it's there and sometimes uh, that takes um, uh, a little bit of doing less. So nurture creativity and also if you're not upsetting people you're not doing your job which is a bit like I don't do self-doubt. You, know, you have to have um, belief in yourself and belief that what you're doing is, uh, is what you need to be doing. If you're a, a manager of projects, project manager or you're in charge of people who are innovators, um, to some degree you've got to identify projects against staff skills. It can't be all just the staff, what staff want to do but it, there needs to be I think a mix of okay these are the people, the capability that we have and uh, this is what we want to do. Encourage work outside of the day to day so breaking up the routine. Be open to change of directions. Uh, in management circles there's really in knowledge management circles there's an interesting development um, a guy called Dave Snowden in England and he talks about complex adaptive systems that we used to have process run management uh, in, that was really big in the 80s and has continued into the 90s but it's now started a change where if you just do process management it doesn't work because so much is changing so quickly and people are so different now that you have now instead an idea of complex adaptive sy- systems where you don't necessarily um, have the final outcome that you know about yet, expect, but you go towards something and you adapt as you go rapidly. So things like agile development. Have a communications plan. You've got to be able to work out when and how you're going to be talking to these people who are developers for you or who are doing uh, innovative work for you. Ask, can I do anything for you? Um, Contextualise both frequency and depth. Often innovators, they get into their creativity, they get into their things that they're right into, they're into depth. They want to go right into developing this avatar or right into writing this program or whatever it is that they're doing. Um, the project manager needs frequency. We've got to sign off on all these stages in the, in the process. So you've got to somehow bring those two together. We've had that problem with one of our projects where they're creating games and they're doing a wonderful job but the, the project manager says to me, I'm pulling my hair out because they've spent 50 hours just on creating this avatar or whatever it was and, and, and so she had this problem where it needed to be to some degree interrupted but to some degree she's got to let them go as well. And, and trust is a big part of this. We've got to develop trust amongst our teams uh, and trust with our innovators. Um, what are some of the monsters we've developed? Google in some ways I think is a monster. It takes I think um, as much energy to boil two cups of water as it does to do a, a Google search something like that. Google refute that information. They say it's it's much more efficient than that now. Um, But, you know, there's all these data farms all over the world that are supporting what we do. We're really thinking about the consequences of what we're doing in that way. Uh, And another modern monster, of course, is um, Frankenstein. Or not Frankenstein. Frankenstein makes the monster. Um, but we see this in lots of forms and it's really popular and it's stayed really popular um, since the 19th century when Mary Shelley wrote the book Frankenstein. And I came across this, um, this version of Frankenstein. It's never been released in Australia. It was made in 1994 and look at the cast. We've got the monster's Robert De Niro. I mean, how cool is that? <laughs> Kenneth Branagh is Frankenstein and he's the director as well. I mean, the extraordinary director. 
Um, it's got Helen Bonham Carter in it. It's John, got John Cleese in it. Richard Brears. I mean, all these great English actors. It's got to be fantastic. So um, I'm going to order one from Amazon. Uh, I just found out about this a few weeks ago. So uh, I think that would be you know, interesting to watch. Actually, we might. Do you want to see the trailer of that? Yeah? Because yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen the trailer. I think hope it's okay to show you. I warn you, what you are suggesting is... No one need ever die. I will stop this. No, you can't achieve death. We won't know, unless we try. I warn you, what you are suggesting is not only illegal, it is immoral. What's happened to you? Yes. That's the combination. things about the story is that Frankenstein develops the monster and then he rejects him. Frank, Victor's monster's on uh, Twitter by the way. He gets rejected by Frankenstein and the monster spends, or the, Victor Frankenstein spends the rest of his life with the monster chasing him to, as, as revenge. Okay? Which is a bit, when you think about it, it's like Epimetheus. Um, it's coming from behind or the, 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 the big the, uh, Higgs boson particle um, that uh, interrupts and um, so that's you know where you get all the other variations on it the horror movies um, where the monsters you know the, and zombies I think is probably a, um, a young person's variation on the, the Frankenstein theme as well um, and also Edward Scissorhands is a, type, a variation it's kind of a, um, a nice Frankenstein to a degree and it's not so much talking about um, uh, innovation. I don't think it's more about um, uh, our modern suburban lives and uh, how you know creative people don't fit perhaps into um, our modern lives. Uh, and there's also a new one that just came out called the Frankenstein Syndrome. It, this movie was originally going to be called the Prometheus Project, um, but this, they changed it to the Frankenstein Syndrome. A group of researchers conducting illegal stem cell research discover a cell anomaly that has the potential to regenerate dead tissue, unable to conduct legal human trials, the researchers turn to corpses to test their serum. Sounds like a great zombie, you know, <laughs> um, fest. And that was the movie. And uh, that's, the, that's the end. So, um, 
Yeah, any questions or does that make sense to to you that some of these things are, are moving through? And you know, the, the WikiLeaks is a little bit Promethean too, isn't it? I don't think it's it's just that. There's I think a whole lot of other things going on there too. But is, this is stuff that's been stolen and um, innovation that's, that's happened. And on the one hand, it's a monster, but on the other hand, nothing will be the same again. So you're using the archetype as it were of Prometheus to yeah. explain innovation and innovate. Yeah, and to help us um, understand some of the experiences that we have as innovators. Um, and you know, here we are, we've put all this money into a program and it's called innovation and um, yet it's been beset by all sorts of issues and so on and you know, I have to work in that. Uh, I've got a huge amount of detail that I have to look after in the administration of it and I'm not a natural administrator myself and it just you know, it reminded me of certain parts. And then, then you may end up creating a monster that forms you and I may be, but we, maybe we've done something that, you know, by what I've found is now I'm in the fourth year, it's actually a lot more easier for stuff to just be made to happen in the innovation space with this money. And, um, you know, I think it, it has actually got easier. Uh, the project management has, uh, anyway. Yeah. Yes. Um, sort of central. I think it is an important part and it's not that it has to happen literally or that any of this happens literally but there's a symbolic side which is that when we the idea that pops into our head comes from somewhere yeah. okay? and it's a bit like we're, we're able to grab it out of the unconscious or open to it in some way and that's the stealing if you like that happens on an inner level when an idea comes into our mind that we ha- no one else has occurred to or so on. So um, I think that's just the meaning of it. But how we start things off doesn't necessarily have to involve stealing or our idea. But often it's interesting how it just turns up in those few cases, for example. Like Facebook, there's something else. Yeah, every day I pinch myself and think, God, the extraordinary things that we can do and that we can have available to us at the moment. It's just, I'm so glad I'm alive um, and wonderful to watch and terrifying at the same time. Yeah. I'm not that Promethean that I want to look in advance. I don't, I'm not sure. I think there'll be, I think there'll be a couple of things that happen. In that, we get these openings up, and I don't think that happens on its own without something closing down. And so, in an organisation. Um, how are we going for time? We've got plenty of time, okay. So I'll explain it, that in, as, a, as a bigger story and a bigger theory. Um, in anthropology, there's an idea called, no, two ideas, endogamy and exogamy, okay? Endogamy is uh, when in a family or a group uh, we tend to look after that which is close to us. So uh, we, it's inward looking, if you like, with, which means endogamy. So uh, we look after family is the principle there. Exogamy is we look outwards and we go outside the family okay, or the tribe. So an example of exogamy is, say, a family moves from Italy to Australia. Okay? They move, they've, it, they've been uprooted, if you like, and they come out here. So that's a very exogamous act, going outwards. Okay? They land in Australia and then... Uh, what happens is they become more Italian than the Italians, okay? Because that's the the, the natural counter reaction is endogamy, is that they they look inward and they become um, 
uh, more inwardly focused. And one of the things as a psychologist, there's research done into incest in migrant families and it increases when a family comes out, the risk of incest, and which is the ultimate um, endogamy. Um, and so uh, I think this happens with innovation. Um, and I can talk a lot more about this later if you want. But um, when we open up a system, if we open it up too much or too rapidly, we can get a reaction. So um, there was a case a few years ago where someone opened uh, their class, I think they were grade three or five uh, primary school kids, they set them up on blogs and had teachers from around the world as mentors come in and mentor the kids. Wonderful idea and project. Um, and then what happened is the, the government the risk management guy in the government saw this going on and said, we can't do that, uh, you know, and closed it down and was really hard on the person who'd created it. And so we've got to be mindful, I think, when we, um, we open things up and go into new spaces uh, and the open web that there could be a reaction and what could it be. So we've got to start to think about some of the things, that the risks and the privacy or, or whatever. It's, it's actually good to can try and consider both parts. And so... You know, we also get this with within an organisation where, you, okay, hey, we've got this innovation project in our TAFE and we're going to uh, uh, do great things and you start putting photos up on Flickr or, or um, you go onto Facebook or whatever and then at the same time that that happens, over here in the IT department, there's the IT manager, the new IT manager and he thinks, hmm, this place needs that new Microsoft security patch update, whatever and closes the whole of the things down, builds the firewall even stronger because that's what he's been trained to do and closes down the innovations that you thought they were doing. Now, they're seemingly unrelated acts but I think they actually are connected in this, in this endogamy because they're, they're part of the same tribe, if you like. We're also part of the same group. So, um, so what we need to have is things like the flexible framework has developed the standards for, um, for, for doing training uh, in the technical sector so that if you've... Um, want to do a project, you can go to the IT department and you can say to them, look, here's my, uh, this is the specifications that are recommended for doing projects you know, in the framework. Uh, can you make, please make sure that these things are open and so on? So you get, and the IT guy won't necessarily agree and he'll say, well, I'll do this but not that or whatever, but you get the dialogue going between those two parts so that you can still have your innovation. And so I think that we'll see patterns of up and down, if you like, or openness and closeness in some of the things that are happening, like, you know, Ning, Last year, was, I had a whole lot of projects on Ning, wonderful open platform for creating groups and uh, so flexible and so fast and um, easy to use, really beautiful pro project uh, for, for projects to, to run these things. And all sorts of different things were run on them as well. You know, they, they weren't just sort of class groups. We had a whole TAFE set up a social network for every new student so that as soon as the student arrived, they could just, um, they didn't have to wait two weeks for the, logins to all turn up, they could just go on straight onto the Ning and join up and feel a part of it. Great. So, wonderful open space. But then the venture capitalists came and um, said, hold on, this looks good, we want our money earlier. And uh, kicked out the managers who'd set it up and uh, started charging. And they haven't really ch set it up in a very education-friendly way, so it's closed down a whole lot of stuff. So, I mean, that's the risk with um, doing things out in the, the cloud and, uh, and open source to a degree. So you have to kind of think about weighing some of the risks up and so we'll see patterns like that but then new things will open up. 
as well without wanting to make too many predictions. I don't know the answer to that one. And, you know, you need the light bulb moment, I think, to work out what it is you do. You know, a lot of us have spent time um, doing stuff after hours. There's been, you know, stuff doing after hours where you learn about stuff that you want to learn about because there's no way you'll be able to learn about it at work because they just won't understand it yet. And, but you know that this is the way education is going. You, you can see the horizon. And um, I don't know what your answer is with that one, but... Um, uh, you know, I'd look for those kind of ways that you can distill, okay, I don't necessarily perhaps have to have Facebook, but what are some of the things that I can distill out of being used in Facebook and show them in other ways or something like that? Yeah. Okay, thank you very much, Howard.